You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Y'all good? You ready to do this? Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Behind the Message with Jason and Chris and Jason. The full team is here. Um, We just turned on the heat because it is freezing in here. Just like I'm not mentally ready for this. Are you all? I don't know. I just my mind is somewhere else right now. Well, we're gonna make it through one way or another. (laughs) Let's make it more interesting. Yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, or I'll have to edit a lot of things out that I say. (laughs) Um, Well, anyways, trying to start this podcast off. uh, Let's address the obvious. This is the day after Halloween, which Mm -hmm. is what? Isn't it All Saints Day or something? Day of the Day Dead. No, that's tomorrow. On my calendar. Yesterday was also Reformation Day. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. I saw um, a picture this morning. It was just a meme. It was Martin Luther, and it just said no. Yeah. And I was like, that's funny. <laughs> I almost posted that. But, um, or anyway, all right, well, let's let's go after it. What did you all do for Halloween? I know it was exciting for everyone. So, Chris, what did you do for Halloween? I ended up having to work overtime, so I worked about... Six o'clock, which I can't tell you the last time I worked till six o'clock, but it wasn't fun. Why overtime? It sounds like my boss was out of town. Well, he's on vacation, and I had to. I had to cut. It started out. I had to cover for him on a conference call, and it just spiraled. Okay. From there, uh, but yeah, I worked till six, ate dinner, cleaned up around the house, and then prepped a little bit for today. Man, that's boring. Did you get like? You don't get any trick-or-treaters down that No, well, no, well, back in, I mean, you know, the kids are grown now, but when they were little, we were always out, so there was, you know, we didn't get any. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know if anybody came by, um, but when they got older, no, we didn't get any, but I did see a couple cars driving down the road last night, but I didn't have, I didn't have any candy, so I just kept my lights off and (laughs) turned the lights. There's no candy here, kids. Yeah, there is, you're not going to get any of it. (laughs) Yeah, I well, we were driving. It it was at least eight thirty. I mean, it was dark and late, and people mm-hmm. were everywhere still. I'm like, I thought trick or treating ended before all this, but anyways, all right, Jason Baker, what did you do? Worked. We went to the chiropractor, took Karina to urgent care, oh, and then like, we got home. This is uh, like a podcast of like nine seven fifteen or something. So. <laughs> We just closed it down, waited for bedtime, pretty much. Well, actually, Karina had the the prayer team had their online. Yeah, I know the prayer team prayed. And Karina so, doing a little better. Mm, no. I I haven't heard much today, but probably about the same. She's okay. had about a week and a half. Really sure. Well, we'll keep praying for Karina. And, yeah. um, but outside of that. Y'all old. Y'all sound like. I feel like, well, old. Matlock starts it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, I would have much rather watched Matlock than... You didn't even... I bet you didn't watch the Rangers. I did. Did you watch... I did watch the Rangers. Well, you only bit. had to go the third inning before that game was over. It was yeah. 10, to, 10 to 0. Well, that's... that's So that's what I... 
I watched all of it. Did you have some Cincinnati Red flashbacks? Well, Corey said something. I was like, the Rangers are not the Reds. They're not going to blow a 10-0 lead. And then it was a 10-1. Then another one, 11-1. And then Diamondbacks went on a tear. And then it was like 11-7. Something like that, yeah. Um, Which, that's why it's so hard to come back. I mean, you had two outs, bottom of the ninth. You're still going to have to rally four more runs is hard to do in baseball. But I think as this series is... So one game away. Yeah, but I, that's why I'm like, this thing isn't over until it is officially over. Um, so, yeah, the, the Rangers could seal the deal tonight. Yeah. But At, In Arizona, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of wish they'd... So if they win, if they lose tonight, they'll go play. They've never won. I know, but if they lose I mean, tonight, never, then the no, next... No, I'm saying they've never... This is... They've never won the World Series. Right, yeah. So, I but didn't I'm realize saying that until last night. Yeah, the Rangers lose tonight. They could go home and win it all at home. at home. So either way, I'm fine. Put it away or... But that's a huge deal. I think they'll be... I'm on record. They'll be the biggest sports thing to ever happen in this town. Sorry to football fans, but... To have Evan Carter 21 on a... World Series, a meaningful World Series team. Mm-hmm. Um, and he contributed greatly. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So I'll stay up and watch it. I'll watch we it. talked about my dad came by. Sorry, just you said you stay up and watch it. I asked him if he'd ever remembered. Has the World Series always been like prime time, eight o'clock games? Yeah, I was like, I, I, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing a day game here. You know, now and then yeah. during the World Series, I'd, so late. It's been very late. I mean, I know you all are at pushing 95 <laughs> years old, but it, even for me, I'm like, it's been late. There's because something about then, a day game as well there. Thank you. That was my point. Yeah. No, I get it. I just, like, these games aren't over till almost 1130, yeah. and then then I want to go, then I get in bed with my phone, which is a mistake, and then I Google everything about the game I just watched. <laughs> And then it's like 12.30 in the morning, so bad news. So, Anyways, we had an unexpected Halloween. We went to Knoxville for Ezra's broken head. He had the, a neurosurgeon appointment, and he's fine. So they're going to do another scan in December, and then if that's fine, they're, they'll, done, they'll be done scanning and stuff. But anyway, so when we went, one of... Someone Corey works with gave her free tickets to Ripley's. So we're like, well, sweet. We'll do that. Then we'll go to Ripley's because we weren't sure what if we were gonna, the kids were going to get candy. And went to the aquarium. But then when we got the tickets, I didn't tell you this. When we got the tickets, we found out that they're like for Ripley's everything. Anything that's Ripley's in Gatlinburg, oh, wow. you could go do. So we did. We went to the aquarium. We walked down and did the Ripley's, believe it or not, museum. We did the mirror maze. And then someone's going to think less of me after I say this. So there's the Ripley's haunted house. And I remember when I was in high school, we went and it was like just a room. Like you went in and you sat down in this movie theater seat and they turned the lights off and they were like, you know, boo. You know, just you're like, oh, and then you you left. You know, it was not a big deal. So I, Judah wasn't gonna go regardless, and so the twins wanted to go, 
and we went and scanned our ticket and it was a full-blown adult haunted house like (laughs) (laughs) i mean it was brutal brutal dark murder scary demonic haunted house and i'm like i don't (laughs) like eliza's loving it she had she still had her uh like hands over ears because she didn't want to hear anything or well they like blow a huge thing of smoke or Mm. you know they didn't have a ton of actors in there but like enough where they'd like pull the window down and reach out at you i mean it was we should not have been in there gotcha so ezra's like i gotta we gotta leave and i'm like i can't we can't we have to go for there's no way out man like so and every turn there was this exit sign like exit and i'm like all right and it just kept going there's i mean again i know people are gonna not like me i mean they're like dead bodies hanging from the ceiling they're like the kids are pushing through them it was traumatizing (laughs) ezra had a little sucker holding my finger and i'm like it's all right buddy we'll make it through (laughs) we get out and I was like, Corey, that was a mistake. <laughs> we should not have done that. <laughs> so, anyways, um, so they, but I'll say all that to say they slept. They all slept all night last night, so that was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was a poor parenting decision. But anyways, so if you have children. And you're downtown Gatlinburg. That's what you're getting into if that's what they're doing. So. All right. Anyways. So I will say, just for the people that are going to judge me, I would not do it again, nor am I recommending it. <laughs> Bad call. Bad parenting call. So, But you live and you learn. All right. First Samuel 24, three dangers of waiting. This was, I've had my issues over the past year or so writing these messages. This was one of the more difficult ones. I wrote 10 different versions of this message and just finally picked one and and we went with it. But it was three dangers of waiting, um, certainly waiting on the Lord to fulfill the promise. Oh, you're gonna answer some of these. So the first point was listening to false prophets. Mm-hmm. Baker, what was the situation that we're walking into in verses one through seven? So Saul has resumed his pursuit of David. Um, He was told where David was hiding out. And so Saul took 3,000 men to find David and his men. He found a cave to enter and relieve himself. And David and his 600 men were hiding in the cave. One or two. If you got to take your robe off, it's probably yeah. Two. You got to go too. That's some serious business. You're taking the whole. It's like kids. They're like, did you just take your whole clo- all your clothes off to go to the bathroom? It might be why David's men wanted to kill him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Saul's in there. David and his six hundred men were hiding in the cave. The men wanted to kill Saul, but while Saul was, shall we say, had his got caught with his pants down. Boom. David cut off a corner of his royal robe. He felt guilty, and he then convinced his men not to kill Saul. Then Saul left the cave relieved and unharmed. So you made a joke, and I, I was say if there's any bathroom humor, we'll save it for the podcast. But I was trying my hardest <laughs> not to say anything. Like I, I might have 
obviously made a note of it, but mm-hmm. I did not make any toilet jokes, anything on Sunday. And I, I just I just feel like y'all should be proud of me. Very morning, professional. You know? Very professional, you know. That was not... Um, that was not youth pastor Jason up there. <laughs> that was trying to be a grown up Jason. So, all right. No, that's good. Jason Payne, question for you was it why was it a sin for David to cut Saul's robe? Um, all right. Let's look at 1 Samuel 24 in verse 5. So, after he, after he did this, Said so and afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Why is this a sin? Let me give one more example. This is 1 Samuel 10. I go back a while. Verse 1 Samuel took a flask of oil poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Um, So David knew that, that Saul was the Lord's anointed king of Israel for the time being. Um, it didn't matter if he liked that at all times. Uh, he had to respect that. Um, and I'd say that's something every Christian should think about concerning leaders today. I know it's not exactly the same, um, but it shouldn't be, shouldn't show less respect. Um, so someone asked me this Sunday, um, ironically, someone asked me on Sunday if they thought that maybe, and it was around this question, that maybe David intended to kill Saul, but changed his mind, cut off a piece of his robe instead. Um, and I'd say, it, when she said that to me, I was like, well, that's that's certainly a possibility. All of that would check out. Um, I just shared that regardless, we know that something wasn't right in David's heart in that moment. Uh, he had evil intentions in that action on some level. And so uh, David knew that he had sinned against the Lord. And to just clarify that, that every sin is first a vertical offense before the Holy God, before it becomes a horizontal sin among others. I'll give you the, the most well-known example. This is Psalm 51. So when David... Um, has a relationship with Bathsheba, kills her husband, you're thinking like, this is, how many people has David sinned against? But David writes this in Psalm 51, three through six, concerning that whole situation, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David's not saying that he didn't sin against anyone else, but that his greatest sin, all of our greatest sins, is first against a holy God, mm. which is the largest offense. Um, so that that's what's going on in the cave. What was going on in David's 
mind, who knows? Certainly know what was going on in David's heart. It was sin. Um, so there it is. That's why that answered the question, who knows? But Fortner, yep. how were David's men acting like false prophets? Well, first off, let's define a false prophet. Uh, it's a person who falsely claims the gift of prophecy or divine inspiration or to speak for God or who makes such such claims for evil ends. Um, so yeah, I mean, you could you could make the argument that they they did that. I mean, you stated in your sermon that at the very least um, they took something that the Lord said out of context and then yep. tried to apply it to David's situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think that 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 could be what's happening the most in that situation. It wasn't just a straight up lie. Like, you know, most false teaching is not a one hundred percent false. It's just it's got enough truth in there for you to believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um I think that the David's men were were speaking about something the Lord said concerning their enemies, maybe the Philistines, and applying that to Saul. And so, all right, well, how do we recognize false prophecy today, Baker? First um, John 4, 1 talks about testing the spirits. Um, we do that by, you know, weighing what people are saying against God's Word. So we've got to be experts in God's Word, not just memorizing it, but being able to interpret it and apply it accurately um you know the the stronger we are in the truth the easier it's going to be to spot a counterfeit i lost my place (laughs) yeah that's good yeah i think that's that's probably very concise because i think the more and more that you know truth as you said, would you say it was something counterfeit? Yeah, it's easier to spot the counterfeit. Yeah. So there was, I, th- I might have shared this in the podcast before, but um, in our last church, just obviously very consistent, solid teaching. And when that happens for so long, uh, we had a someone speak. And they were, I mean, they're solid. They're, I mean, they're not like, a terrible person trying to preach heresy. They just had something really wrong in what they said. And when the, in the middle of the message, they said it. And most of the people that heard it knew something was off in that. They could feel it, but they couldn't tell why. And they just, until they brought, I think they brought it up to Pastor Bob. And then he explained why, what that person said was incorrect. Um, and I think that's the reality. If you fill your mind so much with truth, even if you can't specifically identify what's, why something's counterfeit, you can at least say, that's not, that's not the real thing. Mm-hmm. It's not the real thing, but you're, I'm like, I'm not really, I need to take that to maybe a professional to tell me why it's not the real thing, but I can sniff that out. Um, so that's good. All right, so two, acting like the final judge. Jason Payne, is it wrong to judge people today? I don't know. I, I mean, I hope people don't judge me for the haunted house thing. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, let me go through some scripture that I did not read Sunday. 
Uh, Luke 6, 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Romans 2, 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. John 7, 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So I think what happens, um, I've heard it here, and I, I think I've heard it around town. I hear it online. Um, we hear these verses, and we say, you can never tell someone, as a Christian, you can never tell someone they're not living according to Scripture, or they're in the wrong. You can't ever confront sin because you're just judging, and you're not perfect either. I'm like, well, okay, all right. Well, what is Scripture really saying there? And I think the best example that we see is in John seven twenty four. Do not judge by appearances. I don't know, um, just from the outside looking in, even just someone, the way they're dressed or the way they look, act, like exactly what's going on in their heart. But judge with right judgment is the other part of that verse. It doesn't say, but never judge. It's telling you how to judge. Judge with right judgment. So just to give some clarity with that, um, what should Christians judge? Um, I would say this first. I have no reason to judge people that are not believers. That doesn't mean I can't say what they're doing is sinful or not sinful, but I'm not confronting them in their sin as a believer. They're not believers. We had that issue time and time again in student ministry where one of my volunteers would get really, really frustrated with some of these students. And it is frustrating. Teenagers are frustrating. <laughs> but um, I had to tell her, like, what? why do you think, like, what makes you assume they're a believer to begin with? Like they've never, they're not baptized. They've they can't articulate the gospel. They've never shown any interest in following Jesus outside of being at youth group. They're act, they're an unbeliever, so they act like unbelievers. Um, so I I don't judge those outside of the church, even as a whole, um, in that way, because they don't know Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They aren't called to live in righteousness like a believer. Um, but how should a Christian judge another Christian? So this is what John Bloom says. It says, Christians must judge the explicitly sinful behavior of a professing Christian. And I think that's, that's a good way to go about that. Um, sometimes people will say things, do things, think things, and you're like, well, you don't really know what's going on in their heart. Maybe they just had a bad moment. But when you have this explicit sinful behavior that's time and time and time and time again of a profession Christian, then it's time to um, go through that process of what does a healthy judgment look like. Uh, he says, Jesus said, uh, a tree is known by its fruit. That's in Matthew twelve thirty three. Uh, when do the hidden sinful purposes of the heart reveal themselves in a person explicitly sinful behavior? That's why Paul didn't even have to be present to pass judgment on a man who is engaged in sexual immorality. That's 1 Corinthians 5.3. I did quote that on Sunday. And he explicitly instructed the Corinthian Christians to pass judgment on him too. 
So when we sin, our Christian brothers and sisters have an obligation to judge us. They must not condemn us, but they must, out of love, call us to repent. Such judgment is a grace, an expression of God's kindness, and we only compound our sin if we take offense. If our sin is very serious, and our church determines that we must be disciplined, according to Matthew 18, we'll talk about that, we must keep in mind that the purpose is to pursue our redemption, not damnation. And I think that's where everyone gets confused. Um, it seems like every time you confront someone in sin, uh, they view that as a judgment of condemnation where I'm writing you off. And that's kind of what I was trying to get at on Sunday, how well that went, came through or not, who knows. But that's not my call. Like, I don't get to condemn people. I don't get to cancel people. I don't get to write people off forever. Um, Christ can and will. Um, but that's not, that's not what's happening um, when I judge someone in their sin. And hopefully that's not what's happening when someone judges me in my sin. Like, I'm not perfect either. People can call me out on my sin. So, um, like going to a Obviously. haunted house, you know? <laughs> Don't take your kids to a haunted house, Jason. <laughs> All right, well, what does this look like? All right, uh, what should church discipline look like today, Chris? It should uh, be biblical, uh, as laid out in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Uh, the primary aim of church discipline should be to restore the individual who has gone astray or sinned and uh, bring them back into a right, a right relationship with God and the church. Uh, I think you just said the goal is not punishment but redemption. I think you just mm-hmm. said that. I found this article on TGC site by um, Jonathan Lehman had done an essay. And he had a little uh, summary on there. And it said, church discipline typically starts privately and informally Uh, growing to include the whole church only when necessary. In its final, formal, and public stage, church discipline involves removing someone from membership in the church and participation in the Lord's table. Uh, The goal of discipline is always redemption, protecting other sheep, and honoring the name of Christ. Yeah. Let me just state some things in that, because I think there's, there's some really unhealthy church discipline. Whether yeah. we've seen that or not, um, I certainly have heard countless stories of churches that will take verses and, I mean, they um, just really mean to people. I'd say harass people um, on a legal level. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you hear these stories, you're like, that's not the Bible either. But let me also say, there's also, when a person um, is involved in church discipline, and it's as healthy as it can ever be, but they're unrepentant and leave the church, that's always going to be painted in a, in a, as, in a bad light from the person that left. You know what I mean? Like, they're never going to say, no, the church was loving, gracious, like, they called me out in sin, and I didn't want any part of that, and I left. They're never going to... Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it does not matter how healthy it was. Yeah. You're going to be the bad guys. Yep. Um, so, and I think people just need to be aware of that. Like, that maybe a church did all the right things, and this person... You should always know both sides of the story. Before. So, well, yeah, there's always both sides. Yeah. Um, 
to to the story, and I don't know how much I want to talk uh, talk about that. I guess the last thing I would say, like for me, I, maybe I've not really been in this situation, but I'd say in most most times, worst case scenario of church discipline is at least let's just let's play it out for East River Park. Uh, worst case scenario, we've not had that happen here. We've addressed sin, but we've not gone through like formal church discipline mm-hmm. process. Worst case scenario is we remove someone's membership and we identify them as an unbeliever. Now, what does that practically look like? In many ways, as much as it can practically look, it looks like we love them relentlessly like every other unbeliever. You know, like they're not if they're true if we so if that's what we truly believe, they don't know Christ and they're an unbeliever. Well, how should you treat unbelievers? With love, with grace, respect, share with them the gospel. You don't treat them like garbage. Mm-hmm. So um, the only way I would say that like that that couldn't happen is if you have someone that that really digs their heels in. It's like I ain't leaving, and I'm causing a bunch of problems. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't know how we're gonna deal with that, but. Most people don't do that. They just <laughs> disappear. <laughs> so they go somewhere else. <laughs> so um, I don't. I've never seen that happen anywhere. But anyways, so love people when you can. All right, Baker. How will Christ judge? Revelation twenty eleven through fifteen. Uh, then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is the final judgment. Um, It will come someday. And basically at this point, you know, it's the end of grace for those that uh, are not believers. Um, There's the book of life, which basically if your name's in it, then there's a point that Christ has redeemed you. Um, so if your name's in it and you are a true believer, then um, you know, you'll remain with Christ. If not, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Um, as well as there's other books uh, which are our works, things that we have done here on earth. We'll also be judged by those. But you know, he will pass the final judgment as the one true, only worthy, holy judge, righteous judge, um, and you know, at that point, that's that's the final judgment. That's the end of it all. So, and that's that's the role of Christ. Uh, yes. So, um, yeah. No, that's good. I would say. I mean, could you say like Jesus's first coming was not to judge, but to save, and then mm-hmm. the second coming? No, it's to. Well, and even down. even right now, we're still in the period where it's. You know, it's a time of salvation for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that day will end, and that's the judgment will come. So. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. All right.
Um, what was the question this week? Or did I didn't have... Oh, three dangers of waiting. It wasn't a question. Uh, three. It's repaying evil for evil. Uh, Jason Payne, what is the difference between protecting against evil and repaying evil with evil? We go back to First uh, Samuel 23, verse 5. And David and his men went to Kelia and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them down with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Kelia. Uh, the Philistines were the enemy. The Philistines were invading an innocent, isolated group of people. Yep. The passage said David and his men struck them with a great blow. That does not mean David and his men went to Kelia to pray for their enemy. Um, they didn't feed the hungry Philistines. They stood up and protected uh, someone that could not protect themselves. Sometimes that requires violence. Um, what does that mean for the Christian? All right. Personally, I believe uh, Christians should lean more toward more towards grace, love, peace when possible, as the scripture would say. Christians that always seem like they're ready to verbally or physically fight others in some weird righteous anger. Um, they don't understand the gospel for themselves um, or the Bible. Um, but I do believe there is a biblical call for protecting those that can't protect themselves. And sometimes violence is involved to stop an enemy from hurting someone in the future. And I carefully say that knowing that people will take all that out of context uh, for uh, a, a ton of different reasons. Mm. Protecting against evil um, does not mean wiping out all enemies. That... That's where that balance is. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, um, there is a danger in that, whether that's politically um, or us as individuals to say the best way that we can protect against evil is to kill every single person that is evil. Right? Because think think through that. If you could do it. Wouldn't you be a lot safer and all the, everything would be good? Wouldn't you? Evil keeps coming. Keeps being born, though. Yeah. I think that's... <laughs> that's, that's that, but I think that's the mentality we yeah. leak into. Now, yeah. how, I'm not... People are going to go ahead and say, like, you're talking about the Middle East? And I'm like, nope. I'm not even bringing that up. <laughs> how, that all, how this all fits in there? I don't know. Um, that's for someone a lot smarter than me. I'm just saying, so, at some point... You got to lay that aside. Um, and I don't know where that, that line is. Um, I just know, like, for the believer, is it, it's not to destroy every enemy in the name of protecting uh, yourself and what is good. That's not the Bible. Um, repaying evil for evil is to act out of the hate in your heart because of what someone has done to you. Um, and that's just not what Christians are called to do as much as we all want to. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Why would we love and serve our enemy? I, I don't think this question gets enough um, thought. So what do you think? I have two passages. First one's Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Um, Christ loved, served, and died for us while we were his enemies. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, number one, he set the example for us. Um, the second passage is Luke six twenty-seven through 36. It says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Um, so this is Jesus talking, commanding us to love our enemies. Um, a couple of things it says, so we will be like our Heavenly Father and as proof that we are sons of God. And kind of the flip side of the coin when we were talking about Jesus's judgment, his final judgment up until that point, even the Father is merciful to the ungrateful and evil. Like he lets the sun come up on him every day. So he's showing mercy to his enemies and to the evil people, as we would call them. Um, you know, we're supposed to follow suit to prove you know, as, as a way of showing um, that we are his sons. And so it's how the gospel is lived out in our lives and shared with others so they might come to salvation. Um, loving our enemies, is, the gospel is about undeserved love and favor, as we call it, grace. Um, and I think as believers, we need to remember where we come from. We were once the ungrateful and evil ourselves. Uh, so we should be praying for all people to come to Christ. You know, that our mission is the Great Commission, spreading the gospel. Uh, when we set our hearts against others that are non-believers and refuse to pray for them, it's a sign that we have forgotten where we came from and what has been done for us. Uh, the gospel can change even the most vile of people that have set their hearts, um, even when they set their hearts upon destroying other people. Yeah, that was really good. And I think that lays a foundation of why, what should be on our heart when we do good to our enemy um, and love our enemy. And that passage on Sunday mentioned that those acts of kindness are, are heaping wrath on top of them. So I think people think like, well, if I'm kind and love my enemy, I'm letting them off the hook. I'm like, no, you're doing the opposite of that. Um, if you're kind to your enemy, you're not. That's not a weird act of revenge. <laughs> like, 
when you're kind to your enemy, you are living out the gospel of everything that you just said. And, and if that person does repent, um, they receive the same grace that you received. That's why the gospel is so offensive. It's like, they don't deserve that. I'm like, yeah, neither do you. Um, but if they don't, if they never repent, all of that is just adding to the wrath that the Lord, everything that you wish you could do to that person, if you lay that aside and just love them instead and they never repent, God will unleash that wrath on them worse than you ever could. So he's got your back on that if um, you feel like they're going to get away with it. They're not. Um, either no one gets away with it. Either Christ is going to take that or they'll take all of it. Um, it's just going to be more of a revenge um, and vengeance than you could give. So let God do it. Like God did. So, um, all right. Where are we at? Summary point? Yep. Patiently wait on the Lord because He's patient with you. Why is Christ patient? Why is Chris patient with me? Why is Christ patient with us? Uh, Christ, uh, Christ is patient with us because He, <laughs> <said everyone> <laughs> he uh, His desire is for all people to come to repentance uh, and experience salvation. Uh, I think He's given people ample time. Uh, to respond to the gospel, and also think the the patient uh, the patience of Christ reflects His character as yeah. loving and merciful. Yeah, yeah, I love the the language in Second Peter three when it, it talks about like we we desperately want Christ to return, um, but it, he says because He's patient with you, you know, like we're we think of everyone else, but I'm like no, He's patient with you, um, so. All right, well, how has and how has Christ already and will prevail? I had to rewrite that question several times. I'm not sure it's still clear. But. Um, already, Christ has already defeated death. There is crucifixion, death, and resurrection. 2 Timothy 1.10 tells us about that. Um, and he already is on the throne over all of creation as our judge. And that's Revelation 20, 11 through 15, which I read. Um, how he will uh, someday Christ will return and he will judge all of humankind uh, separating his children from the non-believers and carrying out an eternal judgment on all Um, and you know death and Hades will finally be cast into the fire for a second death so yeah that's good and I think it's those are some really good, clear biblical examples because it's so important for the believer to constantly be aware of the already but not yet reality of Christianity. So much of what we get frustrated with theologically is just because we don't understand that. Um, it's like you're right before God right now, but you're also you know, still a mess. So how does that work? What's an already but not yet reality? Um, so no, that's good. All right, uh, last question that has nothing to do with the message necessarily. I don't know why I was tired of asking questions about the World Series, and I don't want to jinx anything tonight. I got that. tired of googling stuff. Yeah, we didn't want. <laughs> Baker, what is? My baseball? phone thinks I'm interested in baseball, baseball now. Baseball. <laughs> it keeps showing me sports things yeah. now. I remember that yet. 
I was playing high school baseball. I was freshman year high school baseball. We were practicing inside the gym. Whatever, it was raining outside. We were doing all these drills. And I told the coach, the coach may ask me a question, and I said something about, like, like how do you, he, he asked me, how do you win a baseball game? And my dumb freshman insecure brain was like, score more points than the other team? He's like, score more runs, son. I was like, oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Base hits. Yeah. Base hits win ball games. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, kick more field goals. <laughs> so, all right. What advice would you give a Christian that just always seems discouraged? Who wants to go first? I think we all know discouraged people. What, what would you say? I tried to clarify that they're a Christian. That helps the answer. All right. Anyone? All right, Baker. So I went a very specific route on this. Um, there's something that I've been praying about for several years now. And I find myself, I'll pray a while, and then I'll get discouraged and almost even hit kind of like a cycle of grief. Yeah. And I've been doing that for several years now um so even more recently i found myself praying less about the situation and being more discouraged so i was trying to think of things that i need to hear um so i put a few things down it's always okay to keep praying for or about something um you talked about that in your sermon on prayer a couple weeks ago um of course as long as it doesn't violate or go against god's word you know Pray for meth to land on your doorstep yeah. or something like that. Yeah, don't do that. But um, also, you know, God isn't always going to answer our prayers the way we want, but he can. Um, God speaks through his word, stay in it, and it grounds us to him, even in those times that we feel discouraged. Uh, you're not alone. Find a brother or sister in Christ to share with. And we have the greatest, most amazing inheritance through Christ. All things we are dealing with ultimately are temporary and pale in comparison to eternity with Christ. That's good. So, What do you got? Um, All of my answers are terrible, by the way, at this point. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to answer this. But, but. I wrote down to uh, remind them or have them remember what their true joy should be, mm-hmm. um, which is Christ Jesus. I had pray with them also. Yeah. Um, encourage them to be in the Word. Um, maybe share some some scripture. Hold on, Eliza. All right, we're good. Sorry. Um, I don't know how much that picked up, but Eliza was yelling at me. I also said to make sure uh, to make sure that they're taking care of themselves mentally and emotionally, um, along with spiritually, and just remind them that their identity is in Christ. Yeah. That they're they are loved. Yeah. Those are good. I you summarized most all of you all summarized, so my points are terrible. Um so if I could think of anything else to say. Next time you'll go first. No, I'm not gonna go first. <laughs> Baker, you had some maybe I wrote that question because you had a good answer and uh spinning in your brain. I I, I mean, obviously as a pastor, people come to you because they're discouraged a lot. And I think sometimes And I know, I, I just think sometimes people aren't taking care of themselves. You know, it's as simple as that. Like, and I say that to myself. Like, when am I most discouraged? Like, because you've been staying up late watching baseball, 
and you don't, you're not sleeping. Maybe it's just a simple of lack of sleep. Why don't you take a week, get some sleep, go to bed early, get some sleep, and then come back and see how discouraged you still are. Uh, again, that's an oversimplified, and there's lots of reasons why you can't sleep. I'm just saying, sometimes you're just, you know, you've been, you've been treating yourself like garbage physically, and it's impacted you emotionally, mentally. Um, so there's that. And I think it's very important to put, like, who are you putting around you? Like, what voices are you allowing to speak into you? Are you putting people around you that just, like, constantly affirm your discouragement? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and are you putting people around you that are always, they're, they're discouraged too, so it's a big pity party. One of the two, uh, or both, can be very damaging. Where sometimes you're like, I just need to be around more positive people. Um, is a simple fix. Uh, it's like, just go hang out, go grab coffee, go out to a movie with someone that's not like sad all the time. You know, <laughs> like so. Some of these are just simple fixes, but I know that's oversimplifying a very deep deep problems that that we all have um so but there it is maybe we'll have a different whole little episode about that one day all right you want to pray sure then find wherever eliza is that she's yelling at me earlier dearly father lord we thank you for the time that we get to speak about your word and and how it applies to our lives lord and just uh, pray that this podcast will speak to someone and uh, be encouraging, help them along, and uh, encourage them to dig into the Word even more. And just thank you for this group of guys, Lord, and just thank you for this church that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother.